Hey, what's up, financial advisors? It's me, Sarah G with the smack, and I'm back. And today we're going to be talking about transparency. The Transparent Advisor Movement's mission is to promote the ideals of clarity, modesty, integrity, fairness, logic, and client advocacy in all aspects of financial advice. And there's a special emphasis, folks, on advice only, flat fee, and the hourly service models. And today I have a few very influential members of the movement here with me. And we're going to be talking about the changes occurring within state legislature and other forms of the policies that govern the industry as the movement unfolds. Uh, Knut Rostad is the president of the Institute for the Fiduciary Standard and Dwight Detloff. Dwight, did I say your name right? You did. Okay. He's got an easy he's got an easy name. I'm jealous. Finding <laughs> Trail Financial Planning out in Colorado. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Uh I, I'd like to sort of uh introduce the topic from where I am sitting as the head of the Institute for the Fiduciary Standard. Um the institute has been around for 11 years. Our sole mission in life is to preserve, protect, and defend fiduciary duties and, and advice um, in, the world of, in, in the world of investments and financial planning, period, and a sentence. It is, that, it is from that perspective that we have uh, looked at the very interesting and important discussion among flat fee and some AUM advisors about the the relative benefits of each of um, of each model. Um, I want to say a couple things up up front, so there's no there's no misunderstanding. The institute is not taking a position per se on any one business model over the other. What is of of uh, keen interest to the institute and why we're involved in this is the issue that's put front and center. Of, um, of the discussion regarding, and the way that we have framed it is transparency, clarity, and simplicity in the uh, disclosure and communications of not just the fees, that's important, but also the services. So it's that context that we think this is a very important discussion and why we are involved in it. And, um, with, with that this, uh, brief introduction, I, I think that the uh, a, a key uh, place where this discussion is taking place is in the state of Colorado, where Dwight is from, and uh, what the state regulators have done over the last six months in terms of expressing their views and raising their questions regarding alternative fee models to the traditional AUM. So that, to me, is a is an important context. Now, separate from that, literally just in the last couple of weeks, NASA. So Canute, is that NASA like NASA with the rocket ships? No, it's NASA like the North American uh, Securities, uh, Securities Administrators Association to include uh, jurisdictions in Mexico and Canada to, uh, to, to sort of define their geographic reach. So okay, that's- so NASA. A. So it's got two and instead of just NASA. Okay. But what Correct. does that mean that they have jurisdiction over Mexico and Canada? Well, uh, um, I, I, uh, jurist, 
I'm saying that ju their jurisdictions include Mexico and Canada, but just to just to put a, a finer point on it, they don't pretend to have jurisdiction in the context of being able to make rules for any particular state. They're in the their I think their core business is to uh, unify the interests of the state administrators and what concerns them. So they come out with model rules, they come out with with recommendations, they advocate for the states, you know, at, in Congress and uh, at the at the, at the uh, re regulatory agencies such as the SEC, for example. But um, um, anyway, that that's that's I think in a nut, uh, in a in a nutshell what they do. Um, and so um, and so uh this this issue has become an important issue to nasa based uh you know based on what their their state uh, regulators are finding i think in their examinations such as uh, is highlighted by the experience in colorado but colorado is not the only state that, that's that is addressing this issue uh many others are as well but as a starting point in terms of understanding the issues at hand, I think Colorado is a good place to begin. A, because uh, Colorado, Colorado's uh, securities administrators did not come out with a 300-page report uh, as we see, or, or a uh, guidance as we see uh, the SEC doing. They came out with a seven-page memorandum in March expressing their experiences and their concerns about what their, what their examiners have found uh, uh, from uh, from flat fee, fixed fee, hourly advisors uh, under you know uh, in their jurisdiction, and so what they uh, what they essentially uh, expressed questions and concerns about was the extent to which they found that many advisors could not answer in uh, in these examinations uh, basic questions about the nature of the services being offered and the the, the fees in total that are being charged. And they're and I, I think the gist of what they're trying to do is just to make sense of what they're seeing in these in these individual uh in these individual cases. So that was the gist, I think, of what they expressed in their in their March memorandum. And um since then um CFP board, Michael Kitsis, and FPA among among others, and uh three or four others. Uh, including the Institute for the Fiduciary Standard, uh, provided commentary on their on their memo, and then they came out with an updated memo in November. And so, therein is the context for one state state's experience with this with this issue. And uh, I think it's it's really important to, in my view, to understand uh, what is. Um, what is the concern of of Colorado? And and I should say, just full disclosure, um, uh, I have I have no other information other than the institute did have a forty minute meeting with the Colorado uh, Securities Commission commissioner and 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 her sort of uh, chief uh, staff person on this, and um, just to ask some basic questions. Uh, to, uh, to, I think this was two months ago. So that's the basis on which the institute is looking at this, and um, I think uh, uh, I think you know from from a high level, what I see is that uh, uh, most of the concerns back and forth they are mostly a matter, frankly, of 
good faith misunderstandings. And let me underscore good faith. I I think that uh, um, that uh, uh, you know what what flat fee advisors represent is something new to them, and it in some ways is uh, clearly a part from what they're traditionally looking at in terms of uh, these smaller advisors who are charging AUM. And uh, I think I think that piece of it is is something that I think both the both the, the state and the advisors sometimes forget that when you're talking about a flat fee advisor who uh, not necessarily in the case of Dwight, although he may have clients that he only does financial planning for, I mean, you're, you're talking about a set of services that is, uh, uh, you know, that is literally unrelated to the to the management of, a, of portfolios, which is their core, which is their core competence and focus. So that part, I think, is forgotten. And I think that part explains uh, some of the misunderstandings back and forth. And I think what the what the state is looking for is just a greater understanding of what exactly um the uh, flat fee advisors are doing uh, on the one hand, and then they're also looking for ways that there can be greater clarity in the uh, disclosure and communication uh, uh, of both their of both their services and and their fees beyond what is listed on their website, beyond what is listed in the ADV. And you know, I, I know that once we get into minutia on this, there are some. You know, it, it it becomes it becomes murkier. For example, you know, just in, and I think I think Dwight mentioned this in an earlier call. I think it was Dwight in terms of their their reliance on the ADV as as the disclosure of 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 the fees uh, as opposed to an engagement agreement, which is uh, which is uh, is intended to define and describe the nature, the scope, and scale of the services being delivered for the fees. Uh, de uh, delivered for the fees being charged. So yes, there are some differences of opinions down there, but I think in the, in the larger picture, those differences, uh, frankly, and this is the, to me the point, Sarah, they're relatively small. They're relatively small. I mean, in this content, in in this conversation, you know, it's forgotten the fact that that the ninety percent plus or minus of those dual registrants, they couldn't come close to what flat fee advisors or AUM independent advisors can do in terms of uh, disclosure uh, and commu and uh, uh, communication on their fees and services. So uh, I think one thing for us to remember is that, uh, is that, uh, uh, is that in, in, in the larger picture, these differences are smaller. And the other thing, and in terms of a, you know, uh, I, uh, if I have any bias to, in this conversation, it is, when I look at the state regulators as a group, as a whole, and there are exceptions with every any group, you know, we're talking 50 states, so there are differences. Their understanding, Sarah, of what it means to be a fiduciary is just so far above and beyond what we have seen in recent years from the SEC. It's it's not even comparable. It's Are not you comparable. to Reg BI. <laughs> well, well, that's that's a good that's a good place to begin. And you know, just on that, I'll, let me give let me give a shout out to NASA. The most important document on Reg BI in the last several years was produced by NASA a year ago last month. They came out with an evaluation of it. And they basically said that the broker dealers haven't changed their practices at all. 
I mean, you know, sort of overall. And so, the, well, uh, so know, yes. The CCC does have the broker-dealer community to make happy. Well, you know, listen, we all have, yes, we, yes, they do. So anyway, I, that's the context in, in which I look at this in terms of, you know, why in some ways, perhaps I give the, the, the state regulators the benefit of the doubt because they are closer to what flat fee advisors, to what fiduciary advisors are all about. They get it. So, okay, I'll pause there and, and let Dwight or, or follow or you ask some questions or whatever. So. Dwight, what do you think of this whole thing? Can you first describe what your practice is? Because I know you're a CPA, you're a CFP. Yep. What you got going on, first of all, from a business? <laughs> yeah, so I... I am a CPA. I'm a CPA by trade. Um, so I kind of started that way. Um, but yeah, so Winding Trail Financial Planning is my, you know, registered investment advisor firm. So I do financial planning. Um, so usually pretty much anything with a dollar sign, we go through and, and go through that. Similar to what other guests you've had on your podcast as well, like Cody Garrett and um, et cetera. So also with that, though, is because I'm advising on investments of saying, hey, here's what your portfolio should look like or sell this, buy this, et cetera. You don't have to get registered legally for all of that. Um, so right now, the way it works is for most people that come in, I do an initial financial plan for them on a flat fee basis. Um, and so, uh, you know, sort of that prescription without diagnosis thing is a uh, is malpractice or whatever. So if somebody comes in and just says, Hey, can I retire tomorrow? Or does my portfolio look good? You know, I, I don't know, like we have to kind of go through this whole thing and, and take a look at it. Um, and then because of sort of the way Colorado is structured, it is just administratively easier to just be on an AUM method going forward for those particular clients and customers and families that want ongoing investment management. It's not a requirement. Um, you know, I'd certainly give people like, here's what my recommendations are. You can go DIY this. Um, but some folks, that's not what they want to do. Uh, and then to further the point, I do have a separately right. like. Right. Can you go over why it is easier? Why you yes. made the decision to go AUM instead of B flat fee for the clients that you're advising on an ongoing basis, their investments? Yes. So at the heart of it, I totally understand what Colorado is saying. Hey, what are you doing for these fees, right? And what Colorado is trying to come at, and I think part of NASA saying is, are your fees reasonable? So the challenge that I think that happens, so what they're saying on the surface, I get, it makes total sense. So for example, if somebody has a $500,000 portfolio and we just use a standard 1%, you would charge them 5,000, you know, they'd be charged $5,000 a year. Um, under the AUM method. Now, if you charge them a flat fee of $5,000, all of a sudden, Colorado's coming in there and saying, well, what are you doing for them? And if that same $500,000 was in a 401k, so not directly managed by me, or if somebody had um, you know, no money, uh, no assets under management. So for example, let's say you're a business owner or self-employed and you're putting all your money into your business. The state would come in there and kind of say, are your fees that you're charging... Uh, appropriate um, for what you're doing. And so it's a lot easier for the state, I think, to be able to go back and say, hey, you're charging a percent of AUM and it's reasonable, it's not unconscionable, et cetera. And therefore they're totally comfortable with being able to point that back and say, okay, you're charging X percent on the money you're managing. It's really easy for them to tie that back and right. forth. Okay, so if you- that's Because there's a tangible record of it that the assets bingo. are custodian. Yep percentage that came out and presumably yep. 
act of the assets being held at the custodian implies that you had yep. oversight over those assets. Yes, okay. exactly. So and now you, you flip that around and that is, is a deliverable. Exactly. The implied, deliver, the implied deliverable that you are overseeing. Right. Okay. Now so that's, fee, that kind of gets clarified. Hold on, Dwight, let's just clarify. With flat fee, does the fee come out of the assets of the custodian? It can. I think like, you know, your guest Andy Panko does that. So I know there are advisors that do that. And there are other, um, you know, planners and advisors that just send an invoice, just like your attorney or your CPA would. And you would just pay right out of your checking account or your, your credit card if they accept right. that card. So I think that's so where some it depends of the, on the agreement. Right. That's where I think some of the difficulty comes in from the regulator's perspective is. Right. Well, there was no fee debited out. There was no like contact implied deliverable. There was no contact with the assets. That seems to be the link mm -hmm. that's missing when the flat fee is being charged instead of the AUM. Okay. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And like I said, I think if you go back to what they're saying too, of, well, we want to make sure that this is conscionable. We don't want you to be charging $5,000 to manage a $100,000 portfolio which would math out to 5% because they'd say we would never have approved a 5% AUM fee. Um, I think NASA puts, you know, the NASAA puts that in their document that, you know, anything above two or 3% is probably going to be considered unreasonable. So I understand what they're kind of saying there. Um, and I do want to kind of hit on this real quick too. It, like, Knut, you brought this up, like on page one, I think of the Colorado's like opening intro, they bring up a court case where there was somebody charging, um, you know, I guess flat fees or whatever, and they weren't delivering the services and defrauded clients out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. But the part that doesn't get brought up is that if you go look up that person's uh, record, it wasn't just that. They also forged client signatures. They didn't disclose things in the ADV. Um, it just seems like this was just part of it. And now the whole baby getting thrown out with the bathwater thing. And the part that isn't being said, that person also had their insurance uh, license. So I've heard you know, the state also say, we don't want people charging you know, some sort of flat fee or monthly subscription or whatever, and then turning around and recommending to clients that they buy insurance products that somebody's getting a um, commission payment on and, or even, even an AUM model. So I think Canute to your point of like, well, what are you charging for what? So I understand where the state's coming from, where they just want to try to get their arms wrapped around it. But anyway, to kind of answer your question, administratively, it's just a little bit easier right now just to say, look, I get it, but I don't want to fight the state on this. Like I'm just by myself. So it's just much easier to kind of say, hey, look, if you want asset management, then I'm just going to charge you AUM for that. Um, and, and you know we can kind of go into that. But I also think there's also the real practicality of, yes, the state says that both sides need to say what they're doing. Um, but like you said, Sarah, de facto, if I'm managing the portfolio and rebalancing it every quarter and reviewing their portfolio, like that checks the box for them. So it seems like in practice, the hurdle is going to be much higher. And for other, you know, colleagues of mine, they've just decided, you know what, it's just not worth it. We'll just, we'll just charge clients ongoing as an AUM. And, and if that, if that's what the state wants to see, no different than in Washington, where people are, it sounds like might be set their hour, hourly rate might be set. I mean, that just... It's kind of a slippery slope. Well, um, you, I, I think you, you picked on the sort of the uh, the cornerstone of what is driving this uh, discussion from the state's perspective, and that's in the subhead of the NASA report that came out just a couple of weeks ago, and that is reasonable fees, and we just need a basis to make a informed 
decision on what is a reasonable fee with you know and that to me is is a reasonable request and so then so then we get very quickly to this issue of well um how can uh, be it AUM flat fee or hourly uh, uh, provide uh, reporting that um, uh, that uh, answers that question, i.e., the question of what did you do last quarter for your fee? And and yes, and uh, I, I I especially appreciate both you uh, focusing on the fact that you know that the AUM. You know, it comes with a uh, un, uh, um, unsaid but but very clear set of responsibilities and duties on an ongoing basis, which they which which they're accustomed to looking for. Whereas when you look at the range of financial planning uh, uh, topics, issues uh, that 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 someone can get into. You know, they 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 don't have a, a reason, a basis to do that. So, again, what I'm just what I'm just saying is that I think their their core request is reasonable. And so that help us help us understand what you're doing for your fee. And and then and then in the process, you know, going going back and not to be nitpicky, I, I think some advisors have made mistakes for, you know, uh, for saying, well, we, we we charge for our availability. And <laughs> I mean, you know. And, you know, um, uh, that that I think I think that was a tactical mistake, but properly understood in the context of either three or six months. No, this is not availability. This is what I did, what I did. And this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, not every month is going to be as equally uh, busy. And, you know, this we are not producing widgets out of a factory. This is a professional service. That is driven by the the needs and the uh, issues in the client's life. So some months are going to be f far busier than others. So anyway, that's how I view it. And uh, again, I think that's a that's a context for um, helping uh, uh, better uh, mutual understanding of what's going on here. So. Well, I think at the core of it is the confusion or lack of definition about what financial planning really is. And I think that this is all over the place because in our industry, it goes from being defined as this is a financial plan to this is a series of ongoing touches. And it seems like advisors are all kind of in a different business when somebody says I'm a financial planner because some define it some way, that way that it's a document and others that it's a service. Right, right. No, no I, I think that's a, that is a key point. And so in that context, Sarah, what you're talking about, uh, the state of Colorado uh, objected to using the term comprehensive financial planning. Well, um, and, and in a certain sense, I understand their point, if there's no other definition of what that includes, yeah, what does that mean? But in the context of what our advisors face every day from the folks across the street who push a button and give Mr. and Mrs. Smith their financial plan after a 30-minute or 60-minute conversation, you know, this, they're so different, it's, it's uh, impossible to, to use the term, as you say, financial plan in any reasonable way because it hasn't been better defined. 
And, you know, you that's that's a separate topic, perhaps, of why not. But that's the way it is today. And and that's the way the industry sort of operates. One of the examples that I recently discussed in an article was and I'm showing it here for those of you that are watching this video and not just listening to the podcast that Lodestar Financial Planning, which I think does a great job of depicting exactly what it is, that how they're defining financial planning, investment planning, retirement planning, risk management, cash flow budgeting. And they actually have a series of, I mean, in some cases, it's how many bullet points are here. There's seven, eight bullet points describing yep. what each of these categories are family services, tax planning, special needs planning. I mean, I think that's great. I think it's great for the advisor to have that clarity because it can help them in the process of sitting down with the client and trying to figure out what do you need and how can I really help? That it's a much better menu to, in a much clearer way of trying to align what you do with what they could potentially need because clients don't really know this. Right. Like clients just kind of think, well, I need someone to help me figure figure my life out. And I think that's the position that they come from. And I, and I think one of the benefits here that I'm really excited about with all of these developments with NASA, with the state regulators, is that maybe we could have a, a very elevated service that that maybe all of this can bring clarity and and make advisors and planners more effective in matching up and determining what the needs of the client are and then tailoring their services to meet it truly. Because where there's too much in this industry of relying on the client to have to make sure that there's value provided. That if, that if, the, that if it's forced upon us that, that that the industry has no choice but to clearly detail exactly what it is and exactly what it costs. And right. fight with that, that could be, I think, the biggest enlightenment that this whole cheese factory has ever seen. It would certainly be a tremendous step forward. Now, I, I just want to make one one sort of small clarification. I think that those that those that list of bullet points from Lodestar is excellent sort of overall macro description of this is what financial planning may include but as we all as we all know what what the uh what what matters in the trenches and what the regulators are focused on is okay I can see what you think comprehensive financial planning could and can include, but but we've got to go to the next level in terms of, you know, what did you do for the Smiths last quarter or last two quarters to that is that's that somehow is associated with your fee so that this can be specific to the Smiths, you know, specific to each client without getting into the issue, without getting into the the level of detail necessarily. And this is, I think this is where the debate, where the discussion is going to lead to in terms of what, what is the nature of the reporting that's going to satisfy that requirement for a regulator to be able to say, okay, that 
seems to be a reasonable fee for the services rendered over a quarter or over the project or over the term of the year. And I think that's part of what advisors need to underscore. It's either a project at three or six months, for example, or it's an ongoing engagement that really shouldn't be evaluated, I think, in less than 12 months, be able to look back quarter by quarter. This is what we did. And this was the this was the an, this was the total annual fee charge for what we did. So I, I think that's where the, the focus is going. And that's and that's where we need. And that Lodestar list is, I think, an excellent sort of uh, a place to begin in terms of describing what a uh, comprehensive uh, engagement can include. You can't really use that word, can you? <laughs> well, as I was going to say, like, that's kind of part of the challenge, right? Is like, you've got, you know, my, probably myself included, but you've, we're putting out there, hey, we're doing finan comprehensive financial planning. But if you tie that back to the actual, you know, engagement letter or contract, that somebody's signing, it's if especially if it's under AUM model, it's it's literally just going to say like investment, you know, just investment management, and we're going to do it quarterly. And so I do agree with what the state is kind of saying there because that's kind of part of my, you know, I think part of the issue is if I just do AUM, then the only thing I have to prove back to the state is that I reviewed their account and rebalanced right. it. I don't, I don't have to prove that I did all of these other things, uh, no, um, even no, though it's on no, my site. You're, you're exactly right, but. When they look at that scenario that you just described, Dwight, then they look at, well, what did you charge now? And here is here is where I think there is a there is the, the, the best uh, uh, quote unquote or the most legitimate criticism of some some AUM providers. Mm -hmm. If someone is is someone is charging 100 basis points for a two million dollar uh, portfolio and sure. doing nothing more than allocating index funds. In my view, but you know, I, I now uh, I'm not sure how that is justified if they're not doing anything else except allocating index funds. Whereas, uh, if if there if there is a significant amount of financial planning involved in for that same fee, which again the point is, I think part of the point is that these fees these fees and services need to be separated to be analyzed. Mm -hmm. uh, I. I think, and that uh, then then that's then that's a different issue. So you know, um, uh, uh, so yes, they, they don't require the same detail for AUM because that's part of built into what they you know uh, right. to their basic training. But um, but still, you can charge too much for for basic AUM, and and I'm sure some have not you personally, but some have, and they get they get reprimanded. I I believe for doing so if they charge too much even if it's just for basic uh, uh, AUM portfolio management. Sure. But I mean, I'm, you know, some of those cases aside, again, my point is just saying, if you're, if you're an advisor sitting here thinking, okay, I want to set up flat fee yeah. and then the state's going to come in and start saying, okay, well, what did you do for them? We want to see your deliverables. Do we want to go down the slope of having the state tell to your point? I think Sarah was like, do you really want the state telling us what these deliverables should be? Are we going to have to provide 200 page documents to clients and make sure we tick off all these things that might not may or may not apply to the particular that family that is in front of us. Um, otherwise, you start getting into probably like what Washington's doing where, okay, it's it's hourly only and we're going to tell you how much you can charge hourly. Like that, that is probably going to, you're going to start, you might have fewer people get into that. I mean, well, you know, just I, talk to I, I think, I think that's exactly the point. I'm sorry, Sarah. Can we just clarify, because we've talked about this a few times, what is it in Washington? 
that is going on? My understanding in Washington, and I'm not registered there, and I don't have any clients there, fortunately, but my understanding in Washington is that they are mostly in favor of AUM only or hourly. It sounds like from folks that I've seen do flat fee, um, you know, and I don't want to call people's names, but there are some planners out there that are very good, have a very, very, very specific niche, charge flat fee, and the states come back in there and said, we don't really like it. Um and because it comes back to, well, even if we look at 12 months, did you do everything in month 12? So therefore you charge fees and you've got more than $500, you know, the, the well, rules that kind of go in that, yeah, the custody yeah, but, I mean, rules. But so they've just come back. My understanding has come back and said, it's either AUM or hourly. And, and it's really, those are kind of the two names of the game. And I think that they've even come back and said, okay, you can't charge more than X. So um, that'd be a good question. Somebody to have on your, on your show from Washington, Sarah, but. So I think from, from some of us in Colorado and other States is, do we want to, you know, they don't have, Washington doesn't have any authority, for example, over other States, but are, are we looking at them and saying, okay, are we going to start seeing that in other States? Um, you know, I, I don't know Colorado if they are, but are they looking at that and saying, okay, this is the model we want to follow. Um, you know, I don't know. Did that answer your question, Sarah? I've also heard that in Washington, whenever a bill is rendered, or no, whenever fees are, something like whenever fees are charged, there has to be an invoice rendered, I believe, a formal full page invoice rendered. Now, don't quote me because I'm not a lawyer here. I'm just going on what I heard somebody say once, okay? <laughs> and... I thought it was really interesting because that person that I heard from said that he then took the opportunity to include on the invoice everything that was provided over that contract period, which I thought was, again, a transparent way to do it. And I, I think that that is a positive thing. Now, I'm, I am not saying that the way that the Washington state legislators are going about this is correct in every aspect, but... I mean, did you ever think what a very different place this industry would be if that applied to every single advisor out there? If every time you charged a fee, you had to justify what services went into that fee? Well, I agree. I just I, I just go back to what I was saying before. I think that then a lot of firms are just going to you know, not necessarily the good ones, but some firms are just going to go out there and say, hey, we're just managing a bucket of mutual funds and we're just charging you 1%. We meet with you once a year and um, that's what we're going to put on the invoice, just the bare minimum. And and I guess, and it, unfortunately, it would be up to the consumer to kind of figure out like, is that a good deal or not? Forgive my ignorance, gentlemen, but for an AUM advisor, what is, I mean, is there mandatory reporting that has to occur over a certain frequency? Um, I think it's partly whatever's in your ADV and what the state would have yes. required. So I know Colorado would like you to at least meet with them annually and, and if you and at least um invite them to meet annually. I think pr practically, if I had a family that you know I only talk to once a year, I, I think I would probably figure out a different relationship with that in terms of, Hey, like, obviously I'm right. something isn't working here or whatever, but you, you know, um, yes. So I don't think you can just sit there and never do 
anything um, at all. And I, I think I think Dwight folk, uh, puts his finger on the starting point that is so uh, um, so relevant. What have you put in your ADV? And what have you said in your ADV? And is it reasonable in the facts and circumstances? And I think because of uh, the AUM mindset, that leads a lot of advisors to, well, um, I will send quarterly updates on the portfolio, for example, because uh, uh, just because. Um, and then maybe we will meet, you know, uh, whether maybe we'll meet a quarter, but I think that's that's less and less the case or uh, twice a year or once a year to discuss what's happening in the portfolio. So but it is driven. It is driven by the ADV uh, as long as it's deemed to be reasonable. And so uh, but, you know, but but I but I think that we need I think we need to go beyond that in terms of being being proactive uh, in our reasonable response to the state legislators or, or the or the excuse me, the uh, uh, the state regulators and, you know, and and offer some alternative solutions that we believe are reasonable in terms of uh, getting to the the uh, the end place, the, the 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 bottom line that the regulators want to get to is. Let me be able to make a reasonable judgment or judgment on whether your um, whether your uh, uh, fees are reasonable, and so we're, and as we've talked about before, Sarah and Dwight, you know, I I I am you know I think a a quarterly uh, uh, list of of uh, bulleted points coming from the list that you provided, for example, Sarah, to say this is what we did for you last quarter. And you know, um, and you could say, well, uh, this is what we in, what we intend to do for you next quarter. But that's less interesting to the regulator. And then, what did you do for me? And uh, and then, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Dwight, about you know, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a whether it's a quarter or, or two quarters or an annually. But but I think underlying the case that we've got to make is, folks, this is a professional service. We are professionals. We're not just saying this blindly, but, uh, you know, it is a different type of relationship than if you're going into the hardware store to buy a washing machine or you're buying other other services that, you know, you know, we and and this is not to excuse our any bad behavior. This is to say that uh, on, you know, there are certain things that we can't forecast. There are certain things that we can't that. that, that we can't expect up front because we are driven by what comes up in the lives of, their, of our clients. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and we don't have a, you know, uh, we don't have any sort of a, a forecast there. So underline, I think the case, our case is that we are professionals and, uh, you know, that uh, that's got to be kept in mind in terms of setting expectations. For example, yep, I, one of the I, questions I have, though, Kenu, is like what um, splitting that between um, what if they don't, you know, I know you keep saying like, well, what do we what have you done for me last quarter? But like, what if the client doesn't really want anything done? They well, just literally want you to ba- babysit a pile of money. They don't want. Well, 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 well OK, OK, well, OK, uh, you know, that's a good question to, to clarify. I am I say what I said in the context of an ongoing financial planning relationship separate from okay. whatever you're doing AUM alone. And uh, so, 
that's the context in which I say that because that's the context in which I think they there there are the greatest number of questions. Uh, whereas, as as all mm-hmm. three of us have have observed, that those same questions don't come up on the AUM side, uh, in, in this or in the same way. So that's the context in which I say it. And and, and yes, uh, um, uh, Sarah's uh, showing this this example mm-hmm. of access capital. Uh, you know, uh, I think you know what what is shown here that was done in the last you know on, in the last ninety days. That's that's a significant degree of detail without getting into writing a 15 page report every quarter, which is is, is going to be another killer. You know, if that if, if that alternative were, were in a sense required um, and is, oh, oh, you hold know, on, hold on a second, Knut. OK, so yeah. for those of you that are just listening to the audio podcast, what I've done on the video is I've shown a document from Chris Randall of Access Capital, Flat Fee Advisor, and it shows the last 90 days and there's 10 bullet points saying like merged all trading accounts, um, completed risk tolerance analysis, tax loss harvesting of positions, blah, blah, right? And then it says the next 90 day goals. So this that's the document that Canute is discussing for everybody who's just listening. Sorry, Canute, keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me that that some people are only uh, linked in to us by by audio as opposed to video. Um, so uh, that this is an example to me of a of a reasonable compromise that that uh, uh, now that should be able to address uh, whatever concerns or questions they have and and also uh, I guess an unstated assumption, uh, Dwight, on this one is that. Uh, you know, there you look at that list of the last ninety days, and there would seem to be some, uh, if 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 requested, some written either report or documentation that's already in the files, already you know uh, that that could be easily uh, provided. But in the context of a overview, I don't think is necessary and shouldn't be considered to be necessary. So that so that we're not dealing with with two hundred pages of of documentation or a hundred pages of documentation. Yeah. Cause I think if I go talk to my lawyer, not about anything specific, but like on this, but if I was having a conversation with an attorney about a matter, yeah, some there, there might not be a deliverable, you know, and I get it. They're going to probably charge hourly or whatever, but like, it, yeah, it might just be, Hey, we chatted for 90 minutes over, you know, me thinking about buying this piece of rental property or something. And it's like, what's the deliverable? There isn't one. Like the the meeting is the deliverable. Well, well, actually, well, you know, then I think that's a really good question. And then, you know, should such a report over 90 days, for example, include uh, that, you know, uh, uh, had had four conversations that totaled uh, 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 154 minutes talking about these three topics. Bingo. You know, I mean. I, you know, is that going to be necessary? Uh, should I hope not, because <laughs> I hate no, Ollie. Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, when I do it, right, like whenever I have a meeting with somebody, you know, I just send them back an email and say, here's what we talked about. Here's what here's what next well, steps are and things like that. And so right. that way, I'm not trying to do this every quarter or whatever to try to like figure right. this out. And then that, and then that we we know, and it's just in bullet points. And you know, well, um, and, and my point is that if 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 the context is we're not charging hourly, we're charging a flat fee. What you just described mm-hmm. should be sufficient to say, right? You know, that this is this is part of what I did for my flat fee. Mm-hmm. 
You know, people yeah, and, and love I, it when you're organized for them. Sorry, yes. I know. Right, I, don't right. take, I don't mean to take anybody off here, but I have to say this. I know that I'm not a financial advisor and I know that my work as a marketing consultant is vastly different. Okay. Like I have daily uh, tasks that I do. I sometimes devote hours at a time to one specific client, but I'm on, I, I am on retainer with several different clients. And, and for two of my clients, I send them an email every single day. It's called end of day report. I send them the email. Let me tell you something. I have never had a more solid and stable relationship than with those people. And I'm going to tell you why, because they know that I want it so bad. They know that I care so much about them. Sorry, I'm not blowing my own horn here. Okay. I'm just, I'm saying it because I think it can help that people love the feeling that they feel that this person is on top of it. And I don't have to over, I don't have to be on top of it because he or she is. And they know that they feel that feeling and because this is emotional, right? So, and I don't even think that it's, a, if it's not even any great bullet points, but I'm just saying that <laughs> I, I, doubt it. I know from this, the, the transparency between me and them, that the, the trust is so strong because I do that. Now, I'm not saying everyone should email their clients every day, okay, or every week or every month, all right? But I'm just saying the feeling of, this person keeps good books and records good enough that they could transparently relate to me. And, and it was clear to me what's going on. That is the feeling that people need to feel. Yeah. And again, I don't, you know, not, I know not every advisor out there is doing it, but at least a lot of the ones that I interact with are doing something similar, like what you're saying, Sarah, maybe not daily because, you know, I don't think they want to hear from us daily on that, but um, you know, that can produce that. Right. So I do think part of like what Colorado and other States are coming at, I get it, but it's like, there's some of this is like, this is a response to a lot of the bad actors, you know, like there's a lot of people out there doing the right thing. And, and I think the other piece too, is, is because even a flat fee is so much more transparent than other compensation models. You know, I feel like you I'm getting into a contractor relationship with another adult that, you know, can make their own decision. So if they don't like it, they can just fire me. It's not right. like there's some weird, you know, thing. So if somebody's paying somebody on a flat fee and it's coming out every month or they have to write a check, I mean, you know, it's there. You can just fire that person versus, you know, perhaps some of the other ways where you're just not really sure and, and other, you know, so I just kind of feel like, can we also treat the end consumer as adults that they are? I mean, okay. So this person amassed, X million dollars and we're not going to be able to trust them to figure out if they're getting value or not. Like that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense, but you know, right. I understand that financial literacy is low in the country, but it's just, well, I don't well, know, no, but that just doesn't totally chive. Dwight, I think you've made a absolutely huge point, which is a, one of the premises for how I look at this and that, and that is as you have articulated better than I have, that if, if any client, knows clearly what you're doing and what they're paying, at some point, they not, they need to take the ownership of being responsible for saying, is this a good deal for me or not? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so when they go to their backyard barbecues with their neighbors and they can say, well, my, my advisor did this and this and this, and this is what mm -hmm. I paid last quarter or last year. And, you know, they can have adult conversations. Now, I am absolutely with you. Now, you know, the mitigating uh, perception from the regulator's point of view is that is, is the is the idea that they need to be able to make 
that judgment that it's reasonable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and here's, you know, here's where we, there may be more difference of opinion uh, because, because, and as part of their duty to make that reasonable, that judgment is, you know, and we, we all know this, there's a long track record of individual uh, investors making decisions that are not too wise are not too reasonable. And I mean, you know, so when you get to part of, you know, I, I've, and again, I've never been a financial planner. I'm, you know, so I don't come from that, but I've often thought, how the heck can a financial planner put on the report? I stopped the Smiths from doing three stupid things last year. You know, <laughs> that's not exactly, you know, but over time, and, you know, you tell me what you think this is, and then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pause. Over time, my, my gut tells me that the Smiths will come to realize if they have a real relationship, whether it's you or one of, or someone else, Dwight, that yeah, you know, Dwight, Dwight cautioned against that, and he cautioned against that, and we stopped asking him about it, and you know what, he was right. So again, over time, I'm 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 hoping or believing that some of these, some clients will see for themselves that they were prevented from doing stupid stuff, but uh, but but maybe that's not the case because. Humans are, uh, are, are human. <laughs> and so, but anyway, but I think your overriding point makes sense. And that, that to me is where, where we have to be headed partially be, uh, in, in, in the sense that, you know, on a federal level uh, where we are not seeing fiduciary upheld the way it should be. So we've got to find a way for investors to make better judgments. And I think what we're talking about here is absolutely critical to let them do that. So what should financial planners do? What is it all? Well, as a financial planner, <laughs> I mean, a lot of this is, is a, it's a huge fight, right? And I think like at least what Michael Kitsis and XYPN at all are doing is they can kind of make, put the line in the sand and fight. I mean, obviously they have vested interest in this, but as a financial planner, I just feel like it's just a matter of, well, who do you serve? What do you do? You know, who do you do best for? Um, and just put out there why you think you're providing value for however you're charging and, you know, let the consumer kind of figure that out and being transparent certainly helps, um, with all of that. You know, I don't know if, if most of us advisors or planners should really try to go take on the state or the, you know, SEC or anything like that. Um, it's just kind of a, I'd be a good luck with that. Um, so, well, yeah. Okay, Dwight, you said something. I, I I can't help myself but but jump in on that on that last comment. Um, and um, I I, th I think in in part I'm in total agreement, and in part maybe not in, in agreement with you in terms of, um, you know, uh, what do we want to do? Take on the SEC and and the state regulators. Um, and this is where I say that the approach to a state like you know like your own state. Um, it, I, I, I believe because of my perception of where they're coming from, it's not a matter of taking on, it is a matter of education, education. And I, 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 I believe that 80%, if you went down the letter and the memos, 80 to 85% of those issues uh, are not are issues that represent different points of view. They, they represent different understandings of the issue. That's where, that's where it's at. Now, that's that's Colorado. That is, I, I think, held by m uh, many states. Although, you know, Washington, I think Washington's an outlier, uh, as, as as you've described it. But 
see, I, but in, in contrast, I could never say the same thing about the SEC. So that to me is, is the core difference. And yeah, um, the, the idea that, uh, that financial planners, the financial, you know, any group of financial planners is going to take on the SEC. Uh, you know, if we, if we thought that was possible five or 10 years ago, I would like us to be able to learn new things and and conclude that well you know what it didn't work out so well for us and so maybe we shouldn't you know maybe we shouldn't focus so much on the you know on the SEC because you know that's just not going to happen so but so anyway that that's the I guess that's the uh, that's the that's the way that's the difference or perhaps in terms of how I look at it that that there, that the environment is very is very different at the state level as as a generalization and there so um so yeah this is where i think advisors can actually make a difference um and uh i i think it's may have already started happening uh at at colorado when i look at the first memo as opposed to the second memo in term and in terms of you know uh what what happened there would to me was mostly a matter of, of clarification of what they what they were saying to clear up misunderstandings um, and it's the it's the 10 or 15 percent where there may be legit uh, real difference differences of opinion so there we go well in the colorado the colorado memo is kind of interesting to read right to your point because they redline that so you can yes. see what they had and you can see what they changed and it, and and it's i just think that's kind of you know i like that they're being transparent about that of like okay yeah yes. we changed our mind on some of these or further clarified and i know pre-pandemic colorado had some meetings um downtown in denver just about like compliance and the last one i was at i think it was either in 2019 or 2020 it all kind of blurs together um but it was a packed room of people just asking for clarification right and different things from colorado and i mean yeah there was a lot of people walking out of that meeting frustrated from the planner perspective but kind of to your point, Canute, it's like, well, if if these things, if the state is doing these things, then if you have a vested interest in this as a planner, then spend part of the time to go down there and do that and talk with the regulators if they're providing those, you know, if they're providing that invitation to do it. If, you, you know, if you just put your head in the sand and just complain about it on social media, it's like, well, what are you, what are you actually doing? Especially when they're inviting people to come down and, and do that and having that open door. And and doing doing that in a in a spirit that is that is genuine, in my opinion, in my best guess. So that makes that makes a huge difference. So, all right, Sarah, did we did we cover the issues that you think should be covered? Did we did we did uh, did we solve this problem in this hour, Sarah? That's the main thing. Did we solve the problem? <laughs> well, I mean, we used up the hour. I don't know if we solved all the problems of the whole thing, but uh, it was a good hour spent. And everybody, uh, we encourage you to please reach out to us. We are seeing ourselves as the the kind of the voice. You know, we're trying to be the voice of transparency here. And anybody who wants to see more transparency in the industry, what can we do as the um you know, the transparent advisor movement in order to assist you with and making that happen in your community, in your practice, and within our industry. So uh, folks, join the transparent advisor movement. We are on Instagram at transparent advisor movement, just do a search. And we have monthly meetups the second Wednesday of each month at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm going to be putting the link in the show notes. We will see you at the next one. Thanks everyone for listening.
just a boring disclaimer here. Nothing within this podcast or blog or video constitutes legal or compliance advice. For legal or compliance advice, contact a legal advisor. Sarah Grillo and Grillo Investment Management LLC will strive to maintain current information. However, it may become out of date. Grillo Investment Management LLC and Sarah Grillo are under no obligation to advise users of subsequent changes to statements or information contained herein. This information is general in nature. For specific advice applicable to your current situation, please contact a consultant or advisor. Grillo Investment Management and Sarah Grillo do not guarantee any specific level of performance, the success of any strategy, or the success of any program mentioned within this podcast and blog.